Welcome to the Dead Man Walking Podcast. I am your host, Repeatedly Dead Fred, author of the medical trauma memoir, The Summer I Died 20 Times, which is actually what happened to me, and that's how I got tagged with the name Repeatedly Dead Fred. Today, I am thrilled to have Paul Levitin with us. Paul is a fitness expert and lifestyle expert and mindset expert and apparently a tattoo expert. So, Paul... Thank you for coming on. Happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you have a bit of a unique story. Um, do you want to share with the audience how you got to where you are in life and ended up in Austin, Texas? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, my professional life career started, I was a, as you mentioned, a fitness, I was a personal trainer. So I started working in gyms when I was in my early 20s. And that was a, by just pure luck and happenstance, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. I graduated college, and I needed a job. And the gym was some place that would hire me. Uh, apparently, it's not that hard to become a personal trainer, contrary to what most people think. It takes about uh four weeks of online education to get certified. And then mm -hmm. you can get hired at pretty much any gym in America. So I started to do, I, I got hired at a gym as a personal trainer, not knowing anything about fitness. Uh, but then because it was my job, I started to get more involved in it. So I was never like a fitness person or like I, growing up, I didn't play sports or anything like that. That was never my life, but just simply because I was doing it as a job and I wanted to do well at my job and I needed to make money. I started to learn more about health and fitness and wellness. And that logically just moves into the next thing is nutrition. So then I started to learn a lot about nutrition. And then from there, the the, the next piece that a lot of people might may or may not realize is the mental side of it. Because what I learned was like after a few years, I was training people, I could write the best workouts, I could give them diet plans. But what I came to learn and what most people notice is that like that's not enough. You know, I, I had all the quote unquote answers theoretically of like, here's what to do. And yet people weren't doing it or people weren't getting the results. And that's when I started to get into the mental side of things, psychology, human behavior, habit building. And I started to get really in interested in that part of stuff. And then when I started to learn about that, I became less interested in the fitness side of things because I realized like, oh, this is, this is everything right? Like habits and self-efficacy and self-confidence and all these things that happen inside of our brain, that is the piece that becomes, that comes before everything. So if I can help people with that part, then the fitness part, the nutrition part, the whatever thing that they're trying to do becomes easy. That's, that, that's a result of the work that we do here, which is figuring out your mindset and all the other things that go on again, between your ears. Mm -hmm. Uh, so so go ahead go ahead when when i talk to people such as yourself or people that have overcome great adversity whatever it seems they often have some sort of watershed moment when something just clicks for you and i'm wondering if there was something that just clicked for you about your clients not getting results and you know screamed at you like mindset 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 you know the flashing lights were just going off and it and it sent you down that path yeah for sure i mean honestly it was less of a, a one single moment and more of an acclimation or accumulation of a, a bunch of small things because mm -hmm. 
the thing about being a personal trainer or a, a coach is that most people only see their own lives unfold. Maybe your kids, your parents, like you, you, the people in your close personal circle. So you, your, your wife might say, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. And then she tries and then she doesn't. And you might say, all right, I'm going to start getting back into the gym. And then you try and then you do or you don't, whatever happens. But for me working at a gym for 10 years, I saw this play out on a much larger scale, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people people that I was working with directly. And then just the members in the gym, right? I, I worked at a gym. I was there eight to 10 hours a day, six to seven days a week for again, close to a decade. So I just knew the members. I would see the people come in all the time. And I saw mm -hmm. what are the, what's the difference between the people who are successful and who aren't. And, and that led me to, again, be more interested in this stuff. And then it was just a, a few different books, podcasts, and just, again, kind of opening the door to what was because before this right it's like you think that it's like okay it's all about exercise you know just just run just lift just do whatever and then i started to read books and go to conferences and seminars and continuing education about psychology and like all of the stuff that they were saying is like okay like this is the this is the thing so it wasn't that I was just like this one thing happened, but it was just like, it, it was like a repeated story. It's like, again, I'm seeing the same thing play out over and over with Susie, the soccer mom and Chad, the 22 year old and Brian, the 58 year old CEO, like everything. It's like, it's just like these people couldn't be more different. And yet they're having the same issues and the same problems. And then I start to go, okay, like maybe there's a missing piece here. And I start to read about, oh, psychology, oh, about human behavior, oh, about evolution, oh, about all these things. And it's like, okay, like this isn't like a Susie or Brian or Chad problem. This is a human problem and all humans function based on the same rules. And if I can understand those rules, then I can help all of them no matter what. When I was coaching people on intermittent fasting, one of the lines I was famous for is, you have to feed your mind as well as your belly. And it seems you, you've adopted that same philosophy. So are there any books in particular that uh, you came across that helped you implement these strategies and help your clients? So, yeah, one of the things that was the most transformational for me as a coach, but also just as a human. So again, all of this stuff is just human stuff. Coaching is just sales. Sales is just psychology. Psychology is just persuasion. It's all the same, right? You know, that's why I like all this stuff. Again, you know, as a, as a trainer, my, I've, I've worked on my, my job has always been sales, whether it was a trainer, whether it was a coach, whether it was a recruiter, I've done lots of different things, but when you boil it all down, it's like, it's selling. It's, can I get you to agree with my, my, the way I see things and to do what I'm trying to get you to do. And that's what a coach does. I have to get you to buy in to what I'm doing. Um, so one, uh, you know, one was, uh, I started to learn a lot about sales and human persuasion. So that was one piece of it, it was like, wasn't when I, it was when I stopped investing so much time and in, in learning about actual fitness, like that part is important because I had to be able to get the person, the result, right. If someone was coming me, coming to me to get fit, I have to be able to get them that result. But what I realized is like to get them the result, I have to get them to believe in what I'm doing. I have to get them to trust me. I have to get them to listen to me and to take the actions because I know if they take the actions, they'll get the result, but most people won't take the action. So it's really more of a sales thing. So that's one side of it was I started to get very interested in, in this, the, the science and the psychology of selling and human persuasion communication. But a book that I read that was again, very transformative is called motivational interviewing and motivational interviewing 
is a form of, I would call it, I guess, talk therapy. It's not therapy. I'm not a therapist, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a style of conversational therapy um, that was actually created to help alcoholics, to help people in, in AA, to help guide them to making a decision for themselves. Because the people who created motivational interviewing realized that when you tell a human what to do, they don't like that. We all in our own, somewhere deep down inside of us, we, we have a need for self-determination, right? There's self-determination theories, a theory of psychology, where it's like, that's the thing that we hold the most dear to us, a feeling of like, I am in, cho in charge of my own destiny. So inherently, when you have someone like an alcoholic and you're, the, the thing is you put them in front of a judge and the judge goes, you've got to stop drinking or I'm going to take away your family. You've got to stop drinking or I'm going to put you in jail. That's the last thing that's going to get them to actually do the thing because you're taking away their self-determination. You're taking away their deepest human need, which is to be in charge of their own destiny. So what motivational, motivational interviewing is, is a style of conversational uh, structure that helps you, the coach, me, the teacher, whoever it is, talk to someone and guide the conversation in such a way that they come to that conclusion themselves. So I might know that an alcoholic is drinking and destroying their family. But the fact of the matter is they probably know that as well. So they don't need to tell them, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. What they need is they need to come to that conclusion themselves. And people won't change until they come to that conclusion themselves. So it's the same thing with weight loss, right? No one ever came to me for a weight loss and was just like, I just don't know what to do. Like they would always come and go, oh, I know I need to be eating less McDonald's. Oh, I know I need to be eating less Chinese food. I know I need to be running more. I know I need to be doing this. It's like, well, you're telling me, you know what you need to do. So why aren't you doing it? Because they haven't reached that point yet. You know, as they say, you have to hit quote unquote rock bottom. So some people are not ready to change. So motivational interviewing is a style of conversation that helps you guide people through that so they get themselves to a place where they're ready to change rather than me trying to force it on them. And then when I learned that, it was like, oh, this is this has been the missing piece. I was trying to force people into my change. I was trying to be like, hey, this is the workout, go do this. But what I needed to do was actually help them get to a place where they're like, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And when they have that decision, then I could go, okay, perfect. Here, I have that for you. So I just wanted to make a quick clarification. You weren't actually saying you know, McDonald's is bad or Chinese food is bad because they are potential sponsors for our podcast down the road. So just sometimes it might not be the best choices for whatever lifestyle yeah. you're adopting. Exactly. You know, again, like it's more about, they're not bad. You can eat all of that stuff. I'm not, I'm very, I'm very diet agnostic. I don't like to say, I would never say a food is bad or anything like that. My point is just, again, that people for most of the time, they, they, they will say, I don't know what to do, but most of the time mm -hmm. they do. Most of the time people go, oh, I just know I need to start working out more. It's like, you already know what to do. Why are you like, what do you, you know, I know I need to drink less. I know I need to quit. So it's like, we all know the answer somewhere deep inside of us. It's like, how do we get through? Like, the, that's the, the big question. It's like, how do you know what to do? And you're still not doing it. That's the issue that I became more interested in rather than being like, I think it's, it's a little reductive to think, to, to take the stance of being like, oh, well, everyone else is dumb and I just have the answers, right? Like people mm -hmm. just don't know how to work out. If they could, if I could just tell them how to work out, then they'd be, they'd be healthy. It's like, I don't know. Google mm -hmm. exists. Google can teach someone something better than I ever could. Chat GPT exists. So all the answers are out there. That's not what my, where my value comes from as a coach, as a speaker, as a podcaster, as whatever else. I'm not here to just regurgitate information to people. My goal is to help people figure out why they're stuck. 
So this may be the first time I've ever heard the word reductive used in a podcast. It's a very underutilized word. I don't know if I used it right. So <laughs> oh, I, I think did. you did. I think you did. <laughs> Absolutely. So do you have a story from a client or a couple of clients where all of a sudden you help them set the light bulb on and they, they were able to transform and get over their barriers and whatever their goal was, whether it was to lose, you know, 50 or hundred pounds or to be able to run a marathon. Do you have a couple of stories that you could share? Yeah, 100%. One of the stories that stands out to me the most, because this was a hugely impactful thing for me as well. I had a client named Joseph and Joseph was, he had to be in his late seventies or early eighties. And he came to me because he had Parkinson's and his doctor told him that strength training, weight lifting weights would be is good for Parkinson's because it causes your muscles to kind of decay faster. So to fight that, you need to be working out. We also worked on balance and kind of just like different things that people his age mm -hmm. and his condition can do. But so basically he came to me because he was told to, right? The doctor said, you need to start working out. And he was like, okay, I get that. Right. And we started doing, we were doing like twice a week. He would come for a half hour and we always worked out on Mondays. And I remember one Monday he came in and I was like, you know, doing the same regular spiel. How was your weekend? How did everything go? And he goes, he was like, you know, this weekend I was playing with my grandkids and my, my grandson came running up to me and he ran up to me and I picked him up in the air like this and like, you know, kind of just put him down. And I had the realization that before we started working together, I never could have done that. He's like, so like that, like, I, I love that. And like, that was like the light bulb for him of like, oh, this isn't just about because my doctor said so, right? This is, this is changing my life. My life is better mm -hmm. because of the work that we're doing. And that day that we went from going two times a week to three times a week, we went from doing 30 minutes to an hour because he was like, okay, like this is not just something that I'm being forced to do. This is something that I can choose to do to better my life. And I bring that story up. That story has been hugely impactful for me because that's also what helped me. A light bulb went off for me as well in that moment. And that's when I really was like, oh, like I can help people. Like this isn't just about me helping, again, Susie, the soccer mom, lose the baby weight or or David have his abs show or something like that. Like this is mm -hmm. this is people's lives, you know? And that's what I decided that like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best at it. And I started to really like double it down on myself because I saw that I could really help people. So it was, it was a huge moment for him. And it was a huge moment for me. And it was just really cool to see. It's like, there's, there's something deeper, but again, the thing that, that clicked for him was that although his doctor was quote unquote, telling him to come that he, he was kind of forced into it at first, when he decided that this was something that he wanted to do for himself, for his family, for the betterment of the rest of his life, it was a, it was a switch that, that changed and it changed the amount, the energy, the energy changed when we would work out, how much effort he put in. It wasn't just like coming in and going through the motions anymore. A, a lot changed right in that moment. I also have to give kudos to his physician because it's the rare physician that will tell somebody with Parkinson's that they actually have to work out. You know, my mom went through Parkinson's. I've had other relatives. Uh, I have friends going through Parkinson's and not one of them has told them to exercise. You know, it's let me give you a drug. Uh, what is it? A dopamine drug or something of that effect. And, uh, but nobody ever said, go work out, go get some exercise, you know, get more sunshine. So 
So kudos to that physician. And I hope that physician does the same to many other patients. Yeah, it's one of those things, uh, you know, that's the sad, um, I, you know, it's funny because working in the health uh, health field that I've worked in, people ask me about stuff as if I'm a doctor all the time. Like, hey, what would you do about mm -hmm. this? I'm, like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know that much. But what I do know, again, having have worked with thousands of people, right, that, that's like a big part of my, my superpower is just that I've been able to interact with so many people. Like most people mm -hmm. will interact with their family and maybe the people at their work, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. let's say you sit in an office, you have 10 other people in your office, like, and you have your, your family immediate distance, like working as a personal trainer is a very interesting thing because it's, it's a very one-on-one, -on -one, like I'm with someone for an hour. We talk two, three times a week sometimes, right? Like you might, someone might see their doctor once a year, twice a year. Mm -hmm. I would see clients three, four times a week for an hour talking about, okay, what's going on with your ankle? Okay. Your ankle is like this on Monday. Now it's Wednesday. What's going on here? So I would see things kind of play out on a different scale. And people would also tell me about their doctors. Right. And I'd have some clients who exactly like that. I went to my doctor. He said this, he gave me a, a, a pill for it. And then I had other clients who would go, I went to my doctor. He said this, and he told me that I need to exercise and get more sunlight. And you see that the reality is it's called an opinion for a reason. Right. When you go to the mm -hmm. doctor, what do they say? Like, hey, maybe you should get a second opinion. They don't say you should get a second fact because most of these things are not facts. And if you talk to 10 different doctors, you're going to get eight to 10 different answers. So it's just something that I, I like to be very aware about. It's like there's no one answer for this stuff. And there, there is no there is no one person who's just like gets it all right. I don't get it all right. So it's it's just something that's interesting when you you, you don't think about it when it's like all you know is like, oh, I've gone to the same doctor for the last 10 years. and I just listen to what he says. It's like, there's a lot of other stuff out there that people, you know, self-education is, is a very powerful thing. Mm -hmm. In our pre-chat, we talked a little bit about uh, forming better habits. Do you want to talk a little bit about forming better habits? Yeah, for sure. Habits, habit science, creation, creating habits to me is one of my favorite topics to, to talk about, because again, that to me is what everything boils down to. You know, when I was learning about fitness, when I was learning about nutrition, when I was learning about behavior change, that's what I realized. Like, oh, okay, this is all just habit building. There is a science to habit building. People think that, you know, they, they get so caught up in like, oh, I want to exercise more. Or I want to drink less or I want to eat healthier or something like that. It's like they all follow the same rules. So if you can understand what the, the habit science is, then you can set yourself up for a much better chance at winning that battle. And the thing about habits, people think of it's like this thing of like, oh, if I just do it for 21 days or 30 days or 40 days or 60 days, there's all these different numbers out there. If like you do something for this long and then it becomes a habit, but that's not true. There is no one magic number that if you do something X many times that it becomes a habit. And I think that that's important to say, because I think that fallacy hurts a lot of people because people go, okay, just 45 days and then it becomes a habit. And then day 46, they're like, okay, now, now it'll be easy. And it's not, it's still something that's challenging. It's still hard because habit, just because something is a habit doesn't mean it's automatic. And then they go, what the hell? This doesn't work. The reality is different things become habitualized at different rates. Some things might take, sorry about that. Some things might take again, 60 days, but ask someone who smoked a pack of cigarettes and never stopped and ask them how many days it took to become a habit about 30 seconds, right? So some things, and, and same thing, someone who smoked 10 packs a day for 10 years and then 
became a, became found out their their husband i mean their wife was pregnant or something like that and then they quit right on that right on that day right so it's like we have all these rules about like habits are like this but it's not it's not ever like that so we have to go a little bit deeper and just realize that there's no one set way to build a habit or break a habit but there are things that we know make habit building easier and make habit building harder and what the science will show us is that humans err away towards things that make life harder and err towards things that make life easier. That's where most of our bad habits come from. It's because they're, they're very easy and doing the thing that's better for us is harder, right? So easy example, ordering food on Uber Eats is very easy. Cooking myself a nice healthy dinner, probably harder. Sitting on the couch and watching Netflix, very easy. Getting up and going to the gym, probably harder, especially when Netflix doesn't even pause after the last episode and just goes right into the next one, right? Netflix knows this, mm -hmm. so they make it easier for you. They don't ask you, hey, would you would you like to continue watching the next episode? They just autoplay it, right? They take away friction. So for habit building, we need to flip that script. We need to make the things that we're trying to do less of harder, and we need to do, make the things that we're trying to do more of easier. So if that, and if that's, you know, if that's exercise thing, that might be having their, their, their gym in your garage, instead of trying to drive 30 minutes to the gym each day, right? Having a treadmill and some weights in your garage, you just reduce the friction by reducing the amount of time that you have to commit to doing that thing. If you're trying to eat healthier, I just had a client yesterday. Tell me, she was like, oh, this is so silly, but I had these chocolates those little lint chocolate balls, they're so delicious. She was like, and, and the serving mm -hmm. size was two. So I ate two, but then I couldn't stop. So I had two more and then I couldn't stop. So I had two more. She was like, and I had six. By the time I realized that she was like, I was like, I had to get rid of these. So I went all the way downstairs in my apartment and I went to my car and I put them in the trunk and then I came back upstairs. And she's like, I know it's silly, but like, I just had to do it. And I was like, that's not silly. That's genius. Because what you just did was you increased the friction between you and the habit that you're trying to break. Trying to eat less of those chocolates if they're sitting right here on my desk in front of me, I'm going to just keep munching on them. But if they're all the way downstairs and in the, the trunk of my car, I could still get them. Like if I'm really dedicated and if I really want them, it's still available to me. But chances are that amount of friction is going to, one, make me not want to do it. Two, give me a second to think, to go, wait, why is this? Like as I'm walking downstairs or deciding to do it, I'm going to remember like they're downstairs for a reason. Probably I don't want to do that. So all of this boils down to um, a, a concept I made is just like, you have to make all of your habits easier. So we've, we've heard the term like SMART goals. So I use easier mm -hmm. as an acronym, E-A-S-I-E-R. Um, and I'm, I, I can, I'm happy to give anyone who wants it. I have a checklist that goes through all this stuff. So people are listening, they don't have to take notes or anything like this. I'll send you a free checklist. But to sum it up super, super quickly, E stands for enthusiastic. So that's the first thing. Is this a goal? and a habit that you can get enthusiastic about. So it's this, the important piece here is that it's not the goal that you're enthusiastic about. It's the habit, meaning everyone can get enthusiastic about losing 20 pounds, but are you enthusiastic about cutting out carbs? Because that's what people say. They're like, well, I want to lose 20 pounds, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop eating carbs. It's like, well, yeah, of course, if you, you want to lose 20 pounds, you'd be excited about that. But are you excited about the prospect of never eating bread again? And they'll go, well, no, like I, I love bread. And we go, well, that's probably not a good habit for you because you're going to break that eventually because you, you don't like it. So are you enthusiastic about, again, not just the goal, the result, but the action that gets you there? Um, a uh, stands for accessible. 
So accessible just means, um, is this accessible with where you are in your life? So again, like you could say, like, I want to be a marathon runner. And to do that, I have to run two hours every day. But I'm a busy mom with three kids and I only have 30 minutes a day to work out. It's like, what well, you're setting yourself up for failure before you even started, right? Um, S stands for straightforward. You know, complexity kills dreams. The, the more complicated they, they say, right? Whatever you, you're, you're trying to say, can you say it like you would say it to a six-year-old? So that's how your goals should be. If you can't tell me how you're going to get from A to B, B to C, C to Z, you're, it's probably too complicated and you're probably going to, again, give up. Um, e, I mean, I stands for imperfect. So perfectionism, again, is the opposite of everything that we want. If you're holding yourself to, to a perfect standard, you're going to set yourself up for failure because perfection is impossible. So you have to be okay with taking imperfect action. And imperfect action means the lows along with the highs. Meaning, again, using exercise as an example, if you want to exercise, some days are going to be great workouts. You're going to kill it. You're going to crush it. You're going to feel good. Some days it's just going to feel like someone turned up gravity by two times and you're going to feel slow and you're going to feel janky mm -hmm. and you're going to feel your, your knee hurts, your this hurts. It's like you have to be okay with those, those shitty ones just as much as you're okay with the good ones. Because if you're hoping that it's only going to be good ones all across the way, you're, you're hoping for sunshine and rainbows and that's not going to be it. Um, e stands for exponential. Exponential is just, we want exponential returns. So I want to do less and get more because again, human nature is to push back against things that are, are, are harder and air towards things that are easier. So I want things that feel good and that give me more back for what I put in. So like for me, riding my bike is a good example. I save money on gas. I get to where I'm going faster because I don't have to deal with traffic. I get to listen to a podcast. I get some exercise in. I get some sun on my skin. It's like all of those things from the one input of riding my bike. It's like, that's a good trade-off to me, right? So it's like, now I don't have to worry about doing cardio uh, you know, during my downtime at home because I get it done when I'm going to and from work or something like that. And then the last thing, and the R, right? E-A-S-I-E-R, R stands for repeatable. Can you do it over and over and over. Because again, going back to this isn't about the goal, this is about the habit. Everyone can go work out once or for a week or for a month. Everyone can stick to a diet for a couple of weeks. Everyone can cut out cigarettes while they're on vacation and they don't have access to whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like that doesn't matter to me. If if your if your strategy is to just grit your teeth and bear it and white knuckle through it, that's not a strategy for long-term success. Is this something that you can do, not just until you get your goal, but afterwards? Because that's what a lot of people do. They're like, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, diet down for the summer. It's like, okay, then the summer comes. They're like, okay, but I hated what I was doing. So I'm going to go back to eating how I was eating. And then you're going to go back to how you were. So the question is, can you do this? Not just until you get the goal, but forever. So that whole framework just lends itself to, again, making your habits easier rather than trying to just work, 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 make everything harder. So do you strictly just work with people in the gym or do you have uh, programs that you make accessible to people? So what, how does your business actually work? Yeah, I don't actually work in a gym anymore. So I worked for in a gym for about 10 years. Um, I quit the gym at early 2022, so almost two years ago and started traveling. I'm from New York. I'm recording this in Austin right now. I quit my job at the gym and started traveling. I traveled for about a year and ran just my business virtually. And my business, I don't do any fitness anymore, actually. I just use fitness as an analogy because it's something that most people understand. Weight loss is an analogy. But in reality, I my, my business is all around 
everything that I've been talking about. I have a course on habit building. I have a course on self-sabotage. I have a course on building self-confidence. So these things are fitness and health adjacent, but I don't mm -hmm. actually speak about the specifics of, you know, do this exercise instead of this or eat this food instead of this. What I talk about is, okay, here's whatever your goal is. Here are some ways to make you more consistent with it. Here are some ways to get you out of your own way. So you're not self-sabotaging. Or here are some ways to, you know, make you feel more confident in your goal pursuit so that you actually stick to it and get to the end goal. So my, 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 again, my company, my podcast for anyone listening who wants to listen to more of this stuff is called happy, healthy human. My business is called the happy, healthy human Academy. So I just have courses that are all around that again, health is under that umbrella, but it's not a main focus of what I do. How integral have tattoos been to your success? <laughs> um i don't know if they're integral to my success but they, they to me tattoos are uh there, there's a lesson to be learned um uh, in, in everything so my i people who can i don't know if people are listening or watching but if you're just listening i have a lot of tattoos um and i i like tattoos i think that you know i, I consider myself a collector so i i consider my body is like art an art gallery and i i collect art and it wasn't always like that though i i got really shitty I would say close to jail tattoos first. Um, and then, and then one day I went and I got a really good tattoo from a really world-renowned artist. And then I had on one arm, what you get when you go to a $50 guy in a basement and on the other arm, what you go to one of the best people in the world. And that's when I learned, oh, okay. Everything is not built the same. This is not just something like, this is my body and my body is the most important thing that I have. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And that's the mindset I take into everything, whether it's exercise, finding a coach, finding a book or something like that. It's like, if uh, there's nothing that more that I could invest in than myself. So I'm always happy to pay the money, to do the extra work, to do the extra effort when it comes to making my body, my health, my mental health, anything like that better. And I learned that from <laughs> getting the shitty tattoos that I got when I was 19. So have you had those covered up or are they... They still yeah. somewhere. They're still yeah, there no. somewhere. Yeah, no, I've, I've had it covered up since. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> but it's still, a, it's still a, something to remember. Mm -hmm. So, what's your motivation for getting a tattoo? Like the, the actual design. So, are these things that will also think, you know, they're related to mental health or fitness, or are they, you know, milestones in your life, or what? What are they? Yeah. it's all different. Um, so I have a few for like family. I have a tattoo for my mom, one for my sister, one for my grandmother who passed away. I have a portrait of my dog who passed away. Then I have some other little ones on my arm. You can't see it here, but there's a little bumblebee and the bumblebee I like because there's this whole, this parable, which I think it's a story, but I don't think it's actually true, but there's a parable that's like a, a bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly because it's giant body and it's tiny little wings that physics say that it's, it's wings shouldn't be able to lift its body. And yet- mm -hmm. Bumblebee just goes on flying because no one ever told the bumblebee, right? So I like that. I like that little story. So I got a bumblebee on me. And then sometimes they're just cool mm -hmm. stuff. I have snakes, I have dragons, I have tigers just because I think they look cool. But again, I go to the best artists in the world. So when I'm, I'm going to go get a dragon, it's from the guy who's the best in the world at tattooing dragons. And I'll do stuff like that as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination of everything. Totally tangential. I had a woman on the podcast maybe a month ago, Ananda Mai. Baker and she just wrote a children's book on based on bumblebees called Bee 
coming strong. That's awesome. It's a great little book. People should look for it. I love that. Mm -hmm. So anything else you want to, because we're almost out of time. So what would you like to leave the audience with? Yeah, again, I just, the, 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 the main concept again of that, the, that I just went over with the easier framework. The reason I created that acronym and again, easier E-A-S-I-E-R is because I think that a lot of people look at habit building, living a healthy life, whatever change that you want to make as if it has to be hard, right? It's like, oh my God, I got to work harder. I got to do more. I got to, I got to like harder workouts, diet more, less calories, all these things. And it's just like, that's not how the human brain works. The human brain, if you try to push it too hard, again, you have to live, there has to be some level of hard work, of course, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. But if you push too hard, you your subconscious will push back and it will push back to, it will lead to you quitting on yourself, to you self-sabotaging and to you being in the same pattern of start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. So the answer is not just do more, do more, do more. The answer is to find that sweet spot of working hard enough to get a result, but making things easy enough that you can do it for the long term. because real change is about time. So, you know, that's all of the, my coaching, all of my courses, all of the, again, the, the, the checklist that I'm happy to give to people. It's all about making things easier so that you can find long-term success. This isn't about short uh, success that you only hold for some time, right? Everyone has the experience of losing a bunch of weight and then gaining it back of starting off at the gym for a long time, but then falling off of starting a business, but then falling off of starting a podcast and then falling off. Like, to me, there's no point in doing something if I'm going to do it half-assed or if I'm only going to do it for a short period of time, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing forever. And if it's not worth doing forever, then it's not worth starting. So that's what I want to do with all of my clients, with anyone who listens to my stuff is to just like help them create the change that they want forever. So people can go to my podcast. I have almost 300 episodes of stuff just like this. Tons of free resources. Again, happy, healthy human, or just, you know, that, that's it. You you make an excellent point. I was on a podcast yesterday with Oliver Goulet, who's also in the fitness space. He's in Michigan. And he had told me he had just done an intermittent fast of 70 or 72 hours. And I said, you know, he told me about how lousy he was feeling after about the 28 hour mark or something and had, you know, on day three, you know, he couldn't even do his workout kind of thing. And I brought up the point, like in North America, we have that mindset. Like if, you know, something is good, more of it has to be better, but it's right. not always the case. You know, we get the, the declining uh, yeah. returns yeah, as you exactly. go. So, you know, a 38 hour fast is probably the most that people should be doing on a regular basis. You, yeah. Your body just doesn't like it. And if you find yourself, you know, doing a fast or a workout and you find the next day, you can't go back to your normal life. You you've done too much and you have to listen to your body and back off a bit. Correct. Yeah. Diminishing returns. Right? I say all the time, more isn't better. Better is better. And that's a big part of what I do as a coach. And what I do with my courses is is almost it's pulling people back because doing more is easier. Just pour on more and more and more, more workouts. Okay. Work out harder, blah, blah, blah. It's like people want that answer because it's, it's idiot proof. Mm -hmm. We all know how to do that. But the real, the real secret sauce is in the nuance. It's in the gray mm -hmm. area. And it's, it's more challenging to figure out, but if you can figure that out, 
and that's what you know, a good coach or a therapist or a program or whatever will do for you, that's when you get the real long-term success. So that's that's obviously you know what I try to help people with. Um, and if anyone listening wants to, to learn more about that stuff, you can find me again on social media. It's just my name, at Paul Leviton everywhere. I love conversations like this. I'm happy to help if I can. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure the audience has gained a lot of benefit from our chat today. And uh, I just have to say thank you. This has been great, fascinating. And uh, I hope people look you up. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. To everyone in the audience, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Dead Man Walking Podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, hit the notification button, all the other cool things you're supposed to do with podcasts and social media. And uh, look at Paul's material. He could probably make a big benefit, big difference in your quality of life. Thank you all and have yourselves a great day. Bye, Paul. Bye. Thank you.